We are in the midst of looking or working our way through the Apocalypse, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It has been quite the challenge, and uh, it has been a blessing to me to study the material. I have never preached this before. I've never preached through the book of the Revelation. I've always been too scared to do so. I've always been intimidated by it. But I looked in the mirror one day and saw I was getting old, and I said, if I don't do it, it'll never get done. And so after reading through it, I was convicted that I should. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And so we should not be afraid. Uh, many times, uh, foolish men will fearlessly tread, will more wiser angels fear to go. But I would say that we as a congregation must go here. We must understand this. It is not going to be um, mysterious. And I'll put it this way. Today's message is going to be a, a difficult message to hear for those who are not saved. If you have doubted your salvation, if you have um, a reason to believe that you're not in Christ, this is going to be a very difficult message for you. But you need to listen carefully. You need to put into place all the things that are true about the future. The harvest to the end of the world is a very sobering thing. Now, I don't know if you've ever harvested before. You know, I mean, I've had gardens and I've helped people truly go out into a field and, and harvest things. It's not an easy task. You'll find that when God comes to harvest the earth, and we'll go, you know, when I get there, I just want to repeat this so that you can kind of grasp that. To us, this is a intensive, labor-intensive thing to do. But God does it with one sweep of a sickle. It is not hard for Him. It is not something that He is saying, oh, I've been putting this off. That's a lot of work. We may do that. This is not being done by God. Nothing is going to keep the judgment day from coming. Nothing can delay it. Nothing can speed it up. It's coming on time. It's coming on time. The doctrine that we have been looking at in this particular passage has to do with this. This is the over, kind of overriding doctrine that Satan has a plan to destroy God's people, but God has an infinite, infinitely better plan to save them. And <clears throat> even though Satan's plan looks complex, it's built upon human governments, upon human ideologies, upon false religions, upon people who have actually put the image of, of the beast within themselves and they have and they've come to uh, identify and to adore the things that are against God in their own hearts. I mean, people build universities and philosophies and religions that fight against God and people have embraced it within themselves. And even though that plan is complex, God's plan it's not that complex. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the means of grace. The truth in the hand of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm speaking metaphorically. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a hand, does he? But if you want to know what his finger feels like, it feels like guilt. And it feels like comfort. And it feels like those things that causes words to be true. And it changes people. Only the conviction of the Holy Spirit can cause the truth of the gospel to be received by someone that says, I have always been wrong. I have always been wrong. 
I know that this is true. It's true about me, true about God. So we've been looking at that doctrine in this particular vision. Now this vision is vision number four out of seven in the book of Revelation. Vision number four. This particular vision goes from chapter 12 to chapter 14. And if you recall, chapter 12 started with the ascension of Christ and chapter 14 ends with judgment or the coming of Christ. And all the visions do that. Every one of these visions in the book of Revelation, all seven of them, begin with the advent, the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. Now, each vision is different. They teach different things from a different perspective. Sometimes the perspective is from heaven. Sometimes the perspective is from the earth. Sometimes the perspective is just how, are, how is the war going to be waged? Different things are brought out in every one. And we can learn from each one of these visions. And now we're taking a look at um, how the gospel has been used. And the gospel is that two-edged sword. It's good news to some, and it's going to be devastating news to others. Remember, chapter 12 started with Christ coming, ascending to heaven, war in heaven. Satan was cast down, and then a great war between uh, the dragon and the followers of Christ, the church. And then there was this vision of a beast coming up out of the sea. Governments used by Satan to have authority, to have people follow them, to, be, to lead people into a way of life that will eventually be against Christ. And this beast is called the Antichrist. And then you have the beast from the earth. The beast that actually supports the other beast. The one that says, I am the prophet that says this beast is right. There is philosophies. There is ideologies. There will be false religions. Anything but Christ. Anything but God. And these two helpers are designed to wage war against God's people. And then lastly, the individuals of the earth that actually look at the beast, look at the ideologies, and they say, that sounds pretty good to me. And then they start to worship. They start to adore. They start to agree. And then that image is placed right into their own hearts. Remember, the image of the heart. After that chapter, we go into the beginning of chapter 14, where we see the Lamb on Mount Zion. And all the people of God are surrounded. And you know what they have on their hearts? The image of Christ. The image of the Father. The name of God on their hearts and on their, and on their heads. In contrast to those who follow the beast. Who have the image of the beast on their hearts and on their minds. And so we have this two group of people. These two groups of people. And last week we saw how the angels flew through heaven. And they declared the everlasting gospel. But we took notice that the gospel was directed to those who dwelled on earth. Because the Lamb was on Mount Zion. And his people were surrounded him. But on earth they heard the gospel. The everlasting gospel. But this particular angel did not mention the atoning work of Christ. Nor did it mention the gospel in its essence that Christ died to save sinners. Instead, he said these things. You need to fear God. You need to worship God. You need to glorify God. And that is true. 
That is the gospel. That is very, very true. But you see, this is being spoken at a time when there has been made a distinction between the two. We have one group gathered here and another group gathered here. It is a time of separation. It is a time of harvesting. It is a time of gathering. And so that's what the scriptures are going to teach us today. From um, verses 14 through 20, we have in the end of this vision, the judgment of God coming upon the world where those who follow the dragon are separated from those who follow the lamb. So, in review, I want to make sure that we take this in its context. This is our fourth vision, and that we have seen the woman and the dragon at war. We've seen the beast in the sea and the Antichrist and the false prophet. And now we see on Mount Zion, the lamb and his followers. They follow him wherever he goes. And now we see Christ coming back in judgment. So, let's go and make sure that we understand that we are looking at God's wrath. The reaping of the good grain. The reaping of the grapes of wrath. And then the great winepress of God's wrath. Let's go to verse number 14 and we'll go verse by verse to make sure we, we miss nothing. Chapter 14, verse 14. <clears throat> then I looked and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, of all the commentators I read about this particular verse, they all agreed on this one thing. This is actually referring to a vision that Daniel had in chapter 7. And after studying it, I think that you'll probably agree with that. It is. This, the vision is very, very similar. And what I found to be interesting is that Daniel has a way of saying, Son of Man. The Son of Man came on a cloud. And then later in, those, in that same chapter, the angel refers to Daniel as the Son of Man. Now, it's interesting to note that, that title. The Lord referred to himself as the Son of Man much, much more than the Son of God. And the Son of Man is a very interesting title. Because it has to do with him identifying as, his, as our federal head. He is the federal head. And he has a people, a seed. Mm -hmm. And he comes to harvest his seed. Do you see the difference? Now, in the book, you know, throughout the entire Bible, Son of Man is mentioned many, many times. Do you know who mentions it the most? Ezekiel. He mentions it like 190 times. And you know who he's talking about? Himself. We're just men. Sons of Adam. Sons of men. This phrase is only mentioned twice in the book of Revelation. And this time is the one. It's really like the only time that it's going to be referring to Jesus Christ. The Son of Man being referred to as the Son of Man. And why is that? Because he is separating his seed from the rest of the world. God in Christ, going to come. he's going to come, and he, he's coming on a cloud. Now think about that. When we look at the law given in, at Sinai, we see clouds over this mountain 
foreboding clouds, dark clouds, clouds full of lightning and thunder. We hear the rolling of it. We hear mighty things going on. And what it does is it sends fear into the hearts of men because we have God approaching sinful man. And the law is given. And the covenant of Moses says, this is my holy law. Do and live. Don't and die. Now Christ comes. The law of Christ. He says this, I have done for you. Live. This is the work that we do. The work that we do is to believe on him whom God has sent. And when we see the cloud approaching, it is not a foreboding cloud, but a beautiful white cloud, a calm sky. And this cloud is like his throne, and he has a crown upon his head. <clears throat> he is reigning, and he's coming as a judge. But when he comes for us, it is a sky filled with beauty, filled with light, filled with hope. It is not that cloud over Sinai, and it is not the angel coming to gather the grapes of wrath. We are here waiting for our God to gather us, to gather us up. It is a beautiful sight. Christ is the head of his seed, the head of his family. There are truly two seeds. If you recall in the Garden of Eden that there was going to be a warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of man. Seed, or shall we just say, Christ and Satan. There will be a warfare there. So with that, let's continue on knowing this, that he comes and he has a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, I know that some of you have done work around the house and so on, there's nothing worse than tools that are not kept up. I mean, uh, you can mow the grass and you look back on it and half the grass is still standing because you haven't sharpened that blade ever. You know, you haven't taken that mower and taken it up, <coughs> taken it off, put a grinding stone on it, and then you'll, you'll discover that you can actually mow it and it looks pretty good. But sometimes we don't take care of our tools, do we? When it comes to really doing a good job, you have to maintain these things. They should be sharp. The only time when I look in the scriptures and I see the word sharp, it always takes me back to the idea that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, it's interesting that this image, and remember, we're dealing with images. We're dealing with an apocalyptic vision that must be interpreted. And we are called to say, what does this say to you? No, I'm not saying, oh, it says this to me, but not to you. No, 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 no. It says one thing. It says a good thing. And we can interpret it. But it, it, it's like there is a central message that cannot be mistaken. And what is that? Well, you can't, you, you can't misinterpret this. God wins, the devil loses. You can't misinterpret that. It's just, it's just too hard to do. But we can't take all the details and say, well, the one edge of the sickle happens to be this doctrine. Oh, don't be silly. We can't know that. But I do know this, that when he has a tool, it's going to be very, very effective. Because I have cut grass, and I've hit that grass a hundred times, and I said, man, this is wearing me out. But just remember, the Lord takes one swipe, one sweep, and it's done. What's monumental for us is easy for God. 
It's not the task that's holding him back. He can reap the world in the blink of an eye. It does not make him breathe hard. It does not make him come into a sweat. He does it with ease. But we must understand that the reaping of the world, the weeping of the earth, this is not a small thing. This is not a small thing. This is the end. This is the end in which God gathers the grain into his garner. Let's go to verse number 15. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Now, the commentators that I read on this, they're divided. Some of them say, well, surely this can't be Christ on the cloud because he's being ordered around by another angel, and the Lord isn't going to be ordered around by anyone. But on the other hand, I must give it to these other commentators where they say, you know, the Lord has always said that he is always doing the will of his Father and has subjected himself to him, and that he does not know, no one knows when uh, when judgment's going to come, not he or the angel of heaven. Now, I'm not too sure if I'm prepared to go all the way with that. The Lord has ascended and sits on the right hand of God, and I can't tell you with certainty that the Lord doesn't know when he's going to come back. <laughs> I really can't say that with a straight face. But I will say this. Just because an angel comes out and makes an announcement doesn't mean that he's subservient or that he is superior or that he is commanding. He is only announcing. And therefore, I do not believe that we have to go down any of these roads to make ourselves uh, feel this way or that way about who this person is. I believe that it describes the Son of Man who is Christ. And the command, or shall we say the announcement, is to put in the sickle. Now, all the commentators did refer back to a parable that the Lord taught concerning the harvest. Because when you read this, it doesn't say that he's gathering the wheat. It doesn't. It just says that he's gathering and that he's reaping the harvest. And the only harvest that's actually being identified here are grapes. It could be grapes. I, I don't think that they are grapes, just because by the very nature of the setting. But remember John chapter 15? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you have fruit, it's because you received strength from the vine. And so it could be. It could be. However, I would like to refer to the parable where the disciples were being taught about the end of the world and how judgment is going to come about and how God reaps the world. And it has to do with the weeping of, I mean, the reaping of wheat. The reaping of, you know, that's, say that three times, okay? And so I'm going to read to you the interpretation of it, not the parable itself. In Matthew chapter 13, his disciples go back, goes back to the Lord and says, I, please tell us what this means. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Now, the image here is just priceless. I don't know even how to say it, but you see, Christ sows the seed. He is the husband, we are the bride. Do you see what's happening? Giving of life. And that this seed is planted and it grows. And so the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. 
The enemy has sown them in uh, uh, this, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Now we can see in this vision that the, that the wicked are alluded to as grapes. And I believe that they are, they, are, they are given in this vision in this way to help us understand the severity of judgment. The severity of judgment. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend them that do iniquity. And so when we see these two reapings, the one who sits on the cloud, reaping the earth, gathering in the saved, the other angel reaping the earth and taking the clusters or the grapes of wrath, that is a separation. That is a declaration that there is the seed of Christ and then there is the seed of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and his will you do continuously. That is the idea. They have the image of the beast. They have the image of Christ. These two groups. And so from there, let's go on to chapter, um, in verse number 16. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. He wasn't breaking a sweat. This is not the idea of, well, let's spend a lot of time here. I don't think, I think the idea that he mentioned it in one verse means that this is an event that almost goes by without even saying it. You have seen images or cartoons or maybe things on TV where you have the grim reaper, right? This big old tall shadow guy where you can't see his face and he has a great big, that's called a sigh, a great big oversized sickle, you know, and then he comes harvesting the soul. Well, he comes one at a time, right? I'm not saying that this is going to be all done at one time. It could be that our reaping could be as tailor-made as our own individual sanctifying work of God in our lives. But I do know this. At the end, it all happens at once. At the end, there is a, there is a, a reaping that cannot be denied. So, with this... We must say and understand that there is an immediacy, or shall we say, there is those who immediately go into the loving presence of God and those who immediately go into wrath. I mean, their blood is squeezed out of them. Immediately go into wrath. Now, in the world, we will say, they didn't even get a trial. They didn't even stand before the judge. No, we must get that out of our heads. We discover the truth. We go before a judge and the lawyers argue and debate and bring their witnesses. And then they try to decide and they make the people promise. If you lie, we're going to charge you with perjury and then punish you for not lying and this and that. And all these things are just, they're just, they do, the world does the best it can. And then the judge does the best he can and, and, and passes a sentence. Our Lord is not like that. Our Lord is holy and just and knows. He knows. Now, there'll be a time in which all sin and all good deeds, whether they're good or bad, will be made known to everyone. But that's not part of this vision. That's not what John is trying to impress upon us. That's for another vision. The idea of being put before the judge, 
That's another vision. We must understand that God has no problem knowing who is good and who is bad. Immediately reaped into the presence of Christ. Immediately put into the wine press. So let's continue from there. Verse number 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. The previous angel had a message for the Son of Man concerning the gathering of his people. He said, now is the time. Go and reap. And the Lord, one swipe, reaps. But this angel, coming out of the temple, he has a sickle himself. And he comes to gather the rebels of the earth. But he doesn't do so until he is told to do so. And so, with that angel being given the task, let's go to verse number 18. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who had the authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Now, there are several things in this that we need to pay close attention to. And number one, that this angel coming out, he is described as someone who has authority over fire. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he has the authority over the fire of God's holiness? Does he have the authority of the fire of God's um, vehemence or his, 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 uh, you know, his, his great uh, desire? No. I think that we've already covered this when we went over Revelation chapter 8. So let me read to you from Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and this will jog your memory. So listen. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came from the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And because this angel is burning the incense. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and cast it to the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, whenever you see voices and thunderings and lightning and an earthquake, I want you to think not of a clear blue sky with a cloud with our Lord sitting on it with a crown and a, and a sickle in his hand. No, you need to think of Mount Sinai, of judgment, of, a, of an angel with a sickle that's come to gather the grapes of wrath. And that this particular angel had been given the task of offering up the prayers of the saints. And do you remember what was told to him? The saints said, how long will our blood not be avenged upon the earth? And it was told to the saints, just hold on. Just be patient. Others must die before your prayers are answered. This is the time in which the prayers are answered. The prayers of the saints are answered by an angel who has fire from the altar that has the saints' prayers going up to God. How long will our blood not be avenged? And so he comes out and says, it's time. It's time. God has an answer to your prayer. It's time to reap. It's time to take the sickle and bring over. He has the authority to offer these prayers up to God. 
And we know that the interceding ministry of our prayers is only in the hands of Christ himself. And so these images must be taken with the idea that what is being taught here? What is being taught here? So, there is a call to reap the wicked. The direction is clear. The imagery is rather stunning. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine. Now we may say, well, there's only one vine on the earth? Is that it? Well, if you're only gathering those from the father of the devil, there is only one vine. And there is only one Christ and one Satan, or shall we say, Adam. They have the federal head. Now is the time to harvest all those who are not in Christ, all those who have given their hearts and souls and dedicated themselves to the devil. That vine must be reaped. And so in this vision, we see that the seed of Adam is being reaped. The grapes are being then collected. Why? Because they are ripe. They are ripe. Now, I want you to consider this. Remember we studied in the Old Testament where the Amorites were not yet to be uh, you know, judged by or shall, you know, the children of Israel were not to go and, and destroy them. Why? Because the wickedness of the Amorites are not yet full. What is being said here is that the wickedness of the earth has completed. It has completed. All of God's people, whom God has not lost one, has been reaped. And all the others, their wickedness, are filled up to the brim. And all of their deeds have become mature. All of the things that they offer to themselves and to the worship of the beast have become a wine, has become a product that they say, this is what we offer to you. But these things are to be thrown into the vine or the winepress of the wrath of God. This is what is going to happen. It is that fullness of time. Verse number 19. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, with this, we need to see that God is a fierce God. He is a God to be feared. There is nothing that any man without Christ can withstand. No human being is going to be able to endure the wrath of God, the fierceness of his wrath. Amen. Now, I'm not going to read Isaiah chapter 63, but I'm going to give you homework. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6. You read it. Read that. It has to do the very same image that we see here. And the image is this, that these grapes are being trampled and being completely decimated as though it were the blood of the wicked and they're being squeezed out of them. And not in a nice way. It is being trampled upon. This is the fierceness of God's wrath. And it can only be described by continuing reading verse number 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as the horse's bridle. 1600 stadia. Now, 
The idea, well, what does that mean, outside the city? Is that just part of the image? Well, I would say this. We have been dealing with a separation of God's people and the devil's people. And God's people, that's the city of God. That's the new Jerusalem. That's where these are. And so where are the wicked going to be? Well, they're not going to be there. They're going to be outside that. They're going to be outside that. Nothing wicked is going to be able to come into the city. Nothing that defiles. No liar. No adulterer. No, no adulterer. None of those things can be coming into the city. They must be outside the city. And so the wine press is being pressed outside the city. And when it comes to the type of wrath that we can see, the blood, shall we say, that which is squeezed out of the grapes rises up to the bridle of a horse. Now, the 1600 stadia, that has to do with a measurement. And most of the commentators agree that it's somewhere between 180 and 200 miles. And so many of the commentators will look at that and they'll say, you know, that kind of is just about the, the size of the promised land in Israel. Well, let's not get too wrapped around the axle here when it comes to, oh, is this a real bath of blood? Is this really? Well, if you calculate it and come up with the amount of gallons of blood that it would take, it would be uh, more people than have ever lived or, or will live. That's, we're talking about trillions of gallons of blood here. What we have here is a vision. We have an image. We have an image that says the horse and his rider that comes against God. Remember that? The song of Miriam, how the horse and the rider chased them through the Red Sea. And what did God do? He brings the sea upon them and he overthrows the horse and his rider. And here we have an image where the horse is now swimming in the blood of his rider. We have a horse that comes in and he is no longer on dry ground. But he's experiencing, I was a thing of war. I was used by the world. I conquered nations. I've done many things for the people that ride on my back. But instead, we have all those that ride and war against God. And their own blood rises up and causes the horse that they were riding to even swim in their own blood. It is a type of image that cannot get out of your head. You cannot get this out of your head. The fact that the fierceness of God's wrath is so great that he'll make their own inventions to swim in their blood. Remember this. God does not punish people more than they deserve. Our God is a just God. Our God is a fair God. Our God will not do things, that, uh, do things to people that they do not deserve. This is something that if you cannot see the justice of it, it's because you're blind to it. And you need to come to grips with that. You need to understand that our God is a good God. And that when people go to hell, they take with them the fuel that burns them. And they have them, their own selves. What comes out of them is what's going to drown them. How many times have you read in the Proverbs that the wicked digs a pit for the innocent? And where does the wicked fall? They fall into their own pit all the time. Why does God throw the wicked into the bottomless pit? Why do you think it's bottomless? Do you think there will ever be people in hell that will stop, uh, stop hating God? No. They will hate God forever. They will always hate God. They will always live in tremendous remorse over every time they heard the gospel. They'll always have tremendous pain. They'll gnaw their own teeth, their, their own flesh. They will have such regret. But will they say, oh, but I love God? No, they will not. 
There is something about the sinful nature of man that will not let go of its hatred of God. It has to do, like I said, with sin nature. Look, if sin was candy, sugar would be pride. Pride would be the sugar of it. The pride, the pride of man, even in his destruction, will shake his fist at the Almighty and say, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And they stand in their misery and hate him still. And hate him still. It is something that the world needs to hear that judgment is coming and it's not as though oh are well, you just been that much too bad you almost made it that's not the gospel folks the gospel is as clear as white and black you're either being judged by the blood of christ where he has shed his blood for you or you will be swimming in your own and it'll be your own works. You will deserve it, folks. If you are within the sound of my voice and you have not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, I implore you, today is the day of the salvation. It is not tomorrow. You are not promised tomorrow. It is today. Today is where you do you what you need to do. It is now. Every time you may, well, I will, Every day there's a new day. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. When I was a young boy, I thought I'd never get old. Here I am. <laughs> Every day people think, oh, I'll just get over that. Maybe. But I do know this. Today is the day you need to repent. Today is the day. Now is the time. If, I, if, you, if you're just listening to me on the radio or, you know, I mean, I mean on, 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 on whatever, you need to stop it and just think. If there's anyone within our own congregation who has fooled themselves, who has gone along just to get along, who maybe pleased a parent or pleased a spouse or pleased someone else and say, it's easier to pretend to be a Christian than to, to fight all the uh, circumstances that I would go against. No, 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 no put all that aside, that's not important. What is important is your place before God now. You need to repent and believe that Christ can save you because his mercy is tremendous. It is mind-boggling. It is heart-changing. Heart-changing. Let me just say this. There is a call in the previous chapters for Christians to endure. But even in all this, there's also a call for sinners to repent. Remember what it says, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, for they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. I don't think that I would twist the scriptures too much if I take from other parts of the Bible and say this, cursed indeed, cursed are they who do not labor for Christ. Cursed they are from the time that they die from now on. 
because they will never rest from their labor and their deeds do follow them. Now, the only thing I didn't turn around was that last phrase, their deeds do follow them. Because on, the, that, on that day, everything will be judged. Nothing is secret. Everything comes out. Everything is judged. I'm telling you, you need to repent of your sins. So, your homework assignment, Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6. Read it this afternoon. God's judgment will come at the appointed time. Nothing can speed it up. Nothing will slow it down. And I know that nothing will ever prevent it. Judgment will be unbearable for the wicked. But it will be full of glory for the righteous. It will be completely unbearable. You can, the wicked will not be able to bear it. But they will be forced to endure it forever. You have to think about that. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his mercy upon this world for those who are, have time to repent of their sin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that your gospel be sent out in the fullness of its beauty. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict our loved ones of their sins, convict our neighbors of their sin, even convict our enemies of their sin. And may they have time. May they see the hopelessness of their estate. May they see the beauty and worthiness of Christ. May they take advantage of today's grace. May they repent, Father, of all their sins. May they cling to Christ, crying for mercy. May they understand how he is worthy because he provides a perfect righteousness that is completely pleasing to you. And that they may have courage to live a life for your glory even when the world looks like they're going to win no matter what. But we know, Lord, that you will come back and you will win. Father, gather us to yourself. Lord Jesus, keep us as thine own. And we pray, Lord, that the world would be warned that they are grapes of wrath and that one day they'll be thrown into the winepress of your wrath. And they'll be swimming in their own blood. Father, have mercy upon them. Give them repentance, we pray. But Father, thy will be done. We know that thy will is always good. And we are pleased to serve you. We pray these things in our Lord's name.